E-commerce has never been so exciting. Maybe you're killing it on Shopify or you've created Vancouver's hottest swimwear brand selling strictly on Instagram. This new Helium 10 Best Of podcast will take a fresh look at your favorite episodes. Today, I'm introducing Helium 10's new Best Of podcast series. We're putting together a new look at clips of your favorite podcast episodes, and there's no better place to start than with Helium 10's Serious Sellers podcast. Now, it's not just that sellers come from all over the world or that their financial situation is so varied. The biggest differences lie in the reasons behind their making a go of it and what amounts to as modern day gold rush. The ideal way to demonstrate this is to listen to this best of selection of recent podcasts featuring advice and tips from first form for sellers, two of them specific to Amazon, one focused on Shopify and the last one who created Vancouver's largest swimwear brand selling strictly on Instagram. See what I mean about diversity? Now, in the first episode, this is gonna be from Serious Sellers podcast number 57, Elena Saris, a former criminal defense attorney, suffered through a completely unmerited counterfeiting scare selling on Amazon and then made the move to Shopify and earn three quarters of a million dollars in one quarter on one product at a 35% profit. Elena started by creating products that no one would really be excited to receive them as a gift over the holidays. They were just something that everybody needed. They weren't sexy, just lucrative. I didn't have the, 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 like the constitutional makeup for that. Even if I had the credit cards for that, you know, that wasn't, I was, a, I was a lawyer still. It wasn't what I was going to go all in on. So I started realizing that I was looking for things. I did things a little bit differently that I noticed now a lot of people are coming back to, which is looking for items that sold between four and 600 units a month that I could mm-hmm. force for $3 and sell for 15 to 20. So I had yeah. a stable of products and I'll give you some, you know, dumb examples like a butter dish, a steering wheel cover, things that if someone, this is what I told people I sold. If, if you went to my Amazon store and shopped for Christmas for someone, they'd slap you across the face. I mean, it was like nothing you ever wanted to have as a gift, things that everyone needed that I could. And I, and I was traveling to Iwu, China twice a year. So I was very easy to get these products. And that turned out to be rather lucrative. Her getting into Amazon was definitely noticed. Elena's friends were asking, did you join a better firm? They just thought, you know, how is she getting all this money? And uh, boy, she's dressing a lot nicer. And I think some people just thought I was I was moving on to like a private uh, uh, another firm or something. And the, the reality was I was just done. Yeah. So, so did your, was there a point where your, your profit actually on Amazon actually exceeded your salary as a lawyer? Six months into my retirement. Wow. And I will tell you this though, and this is something that I don't, I think only people who've been in a job longer than 15 years or so understand, like, even though my salary or my, my income exceeded my prior salary, um, it messed with my brain, not knowing that I was getting X amount of dollars Mm -hmm. down to the penny on the 15th and on the 30th. So that's something, if you're thinking about retiring or leaving your business, like either make sure you have like enough that you never have to worry about that or that you, you recognize and plan for the fact that, you know, when you, it's not even that you're worried about money, but when you think about money, you take away your creativity a little bit. You don't need to be a math genius to crack the e-commerce code. I used to joke that I, I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I just went to law school because there were no math classes on the agenda. So numbers and I, we are not like tight friends. 
Um, but then I put up a, a product in maybe August of last year and it started to take off in October. And that one product did $750,000 in the fourth quarter. $750,000, one product in the yeah. fourth quarter, only on Shopify. Only on Shopify, 35% profit. I did one day. There was one day. Now this is a unicorn day. Your numbers will vary. Don't try this at home. Professional driver, closed track. One day I spent $6,700 on ad and I did $67,000 on revenue. Wow. And now this was a private label product or just something that... Just, by the way, random product that I know six other people sold. Two of them did 1.5 million, exact same product. Four of them did uh, over 200,000. And of those, the two of them did 500. I think all in, I sold 30,000 units of this thing. And if I had to estimate, I would say almost 200,000 units of this were sold. Now, keep in mind, if you're just going to the USA, there's 230 million people on Facebook. And you can reach people worldwide. And if you're, if you're selling five, 10,000 units of something, you don't even have to tell Facebook who to look for their, their data on us is so creepily accurate that you can just, you can just put up an ad that says men, women, 18 to 65 as your target audience, have the audience be 230 million. And because your pixel has that much data on it, meaning, you know, the pixel is just a little piece of code that carries information back from your Shopify store to Facebook saying these, this is the person who bought this. You know, there are women 45 to 65 who live in the United States. Bam. It just, you don't even have to tell them that. They just learned it. In the investment world, there's always talk of diversification. Why should e-commerce be any different? When I got back from uh, China and I started the store, one of my friends was like, you're losing focus. Like everyone's like, you're losing focus. No plan B. And it's like, I don't know. My The last year that I was selling serious gadgety stuff on Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, it was, I think just after Halloween, someone called in and a fake counterfeit claim and said that I, my listing was counterfeit. I had three years of inventory, uh, two years of inventory, uh, what do you call it? Receipts, invoices, pictures of me in the factory, a letter from my supplier, you know, 100% good seller rating. They didn't turn my listing back on until December 26th. Mm. I had something between sixty dollars and $80,000 worth of inventory. That was going to be my huge fourth quarter. I lost the entire fourth quarter. I sold through that stuff in May, but I would have sold through that stuff November and December. Yeah. So, you know, it, to me, you, you diversify your portfolio in stocks. We diversify all the time. Why are we not doing it? I mean, people think, and this is like one of the biggest misconceptions. I don't care who you are, or how much you make online. You are not an Amazon seller. You are a seller of physical goods and Amazon is your traffic source. And getting my head around that, opened up all new possibilities to me. I would tell people, what do you do? Oh, now that you're retiring, what are you going to do? Oh, I sell on Amazon. And then I got my China. Tra- oh, I sell on Amazon. And I teach people how to you know, source from Asia. I sell physical things, mostly from China online. Now let's move on to Serious Sellers podcast episode 59. One of the best things about selling on Amazon is that while there are acknowledged ways to create success for yourself, there are outliers. People who are willing to take chances, have a more advanced skill set, or see the business world a little differently. Kevin Pasco, our next guest, is one of those people. You know, we sell a lot in California. We ship a lot to California. We have products made in California, which um, California is great in a lot of ways. They're not great in some others, like taxes and weird yeah. Prop 65 stuff. But, um, you know, if you can if you can geographically make your supply chain smaller, like physically smaller, so the distance traveled isn't as far, 
it's obviously a lot better for timing, inventory turns, but just makes your life a little bit easier. You're not flying stuff all around the world, um, which I know that you don't really have the luxury to do if you're importing from China. But if you're made in the USA, um, you're able to get things a lot closer to home. If you've been around Amazon, you know that one of the oft-repeated cliches is that sellers need to avoid volatile, high-risk categories such as supplements. What Kevin did was to simply flip the script and use the large margins in the category to fuel an aggressive launch that took him to eight figures. The difference that I see there is not really with the supply chain. It's not with the quality of the product, though that is important. Um, that's just a numbers game. And like you said, you okay, if you have an in with a manufacturer, okay, that helps a bit because your cogs are going to be lower. But generally why people pick supplements in the first place is even without that relationship, cogs are generally pretty cheap. Margins are great. You can be up at 50, 60% on some products. Let's say you pick something that gives you a 50% margin. So like you're doing great in terms of an ROI. Um, now it actually comes down to branding, knowing how to launch um, efficiently on Amazon. Um, if you've got a big, huge budget, I mean, you can throw money at you know, the Amazon game and eventually be successful. But I think it'd be smarter to come in with an in that has a unique brand. There's, there's some different language. There's a different take on maybe an existing already popular product. And you're able to use that to get in the hands of people um, make them go, oh, this is different than all the other 10,000 white bottles out there that, you know, as I'm scrolling through Amazon, mm -hmm. they just pretty much all look the same. I think that's going to take generally a good marketer, but ideally someone who kind of knows the e-commerce game a little bit and can look at the different um, categories and see what's trending and, and see why products move. While brand names are still important, it's keywords that are really behind most searches on Amazon. If you look at what's on retail shelves, generally the brand name is the biggest item on the label. Um, nothing is usually bigger than that because we're, when you're in store, you're looking for a brand first and the brand recognition has to be really strong to anchor you in. It's the opposite on Amazon. So it's very keyword driven. When you look at a lot of the products in this space or not, um, the keyword is actually the biggest and the brand name is smaller. And that's to anchor people in because they're searching on a, a keyword basis. So if you've got, let's say, 100 SKUs that are selling into retail um, and they're just designed for a different experience, um, you're going to have to do some extra work to get your Amazon game up to the retail game or pass it because your labels are des designed differently, um, while at the same time, it is such a different space. Kevin says that one of the best things about e-commerce and the FBA model on Amazon specifically is the fact that you can experiment and learn without the fear that one wrong move will bankrupt you. The amazing thing about being in the space, and to be honest, Amazon in, in most marketplaces that have volume, um, is you get to learn an incredible amount you get to see what's working and what doesn't. You get to have the opportunity to play, um, even if you screw something up. I mean, if you get it wrong and you bomb on a product or whatever, as long as you have enough cash and you don't like bankrupt the company, you can go off and try again. Like, there's enough opportunity out there that you can keep pushing and keep going 
um, you know, six years in, like I was, when we launched the company, I wasn't even looking more than two years ahead. So, you know, it's incredible to have a living, breathing company that is, um, you know, just blossoming into something that is much bigger than myself. Um, and it's all because of this, you know, Amazon thing, which I think is really incredible. Then on the flip side, you have to roll with the punches, you know, for a couple of years there, you know, a little while ago around 2016, 2017, like the review takedowns, the TOS changes, just there was a bunch of turbulence within about a two year period, which rocked a lot of supplement sellers. All right, now we're on Serious Sellers Podcast, episode 79. Here we have Christina Mertens, who after befriending a schoolmate at the age of 13, followed him to Amazon and later becoming the business development manager for his company, Sermondo. Now at Sermondo, she says that companies, agencies, and freelancers list their services in over 20 categories while sellers looking for those services search and compare the providers all in one place. Who doesn't need an e-commerce superstore? It's really amazing how sellers can be wherever in the world and face the same problems. Like one of the main problems is Amazon suspensions. So accounts get suspended or listing gets suspended. The terms of service um, differ a little from, from country to country, but this is something that happens on a daily basis, no matter where the sellers are located in the world. And this is also one of our most demanded services on Sermondo is uh, reinstatement experts. And another thing is problems with logistics. Um, I mean, most European sellers, it doesn't matter if they're located in Germany or in the UK or in Spain, most of them source from Asia, right? Like mm -hmm. US sellers do the same. And a lot of people, a lot of sellers struggle with understanding how logistics processes work. And then they fall for like random freight forwarders or logistic firms that were recommended to them on either Google or by friends or, um, or on Facebook. And then like their parcels are like two or three weeks late or they get scammed. Like they, they pay the money, the freight forwarder, and then he just disappears. So this is something that I read and I deal with most of the times. Amazon suspensions and problems with logistics. We all know that we play by Amazon's rules and compliance is important. But as Christina says, you don't want to forget about being in compliance with your state and other governmental regulations as well. What would you say is maybe the second biggest thing that people struggle with? Compliance is a good word. Not only compliance with like uh, Amazon's regulations, but also with local laws. Um, it's super lucrative to sell in other markets as well. For example, if you're an OS seller and you want to sell in Germany, I mean, it's a huge market. I think it's the second biggest. So um, it's really lucrative. People love to buy stuff here. So if you want to go for it, go for it. But Germany, for example, is one of the countries we have so many laws and regulations and the tax system here in Europe, like within the EU, is insane. And a lot of people treat their Amazon business not like a real business, but more like a, I love the term, like side hustle or side business. And it can be a mm -hmm. side business. You can have a nine to five and an Amazon business, but you should 
treated like any other business in the world. Like the tax authorities here in the here in Germany or in the EU won't say like, oh, it's just a side hustle. So whatever, it doesn't matter that you were not tax compliant. No, they will come to you and you will have to pay so many fees. You will be buried in, in fees and um, other money that you have to pay for them that um, sometimes people go bankrupt. There's a saying, think globally, act locally. In any new marketplace, it's important to reach out to the local experts to really understand the local business ecosystem. What is some advice that you can, that you have, you know, based on your experience about helping connect sellers with trying to get set up in these not so common marketplaces? Um, as I said before, the most important part is uh, really working either with uh, local agencies and local companies there because they know the market, they know the search behavior, they know what works and what's, what doesn't work. Or you really try to get help from, from a local company, for example, a U.S. company that is specialized in trade with, I don't know, Japan or Turkey or whatever. And don't try to do everything on your own and don't try to understand everything from your own. Um, going to other markets is risky. It can be very rewarding, but don't try to manage all of that yourself. So go to okay. local SEO companies, local PPC companies, and uh, try to get like your foot in the door and then you'll be set. There's almost no limit to the number of ways that businesses interact with Amazon. Here, Christina talks about a few of them. What is something that you didn't even know was a thing or like you didn't even know was a service that was necessary and and now you're 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 driving sellers to them because it's something that people need. Like, I don't know. I, I can't even think of, a, a, of of an example right now. I mean, maybe one of the examples that you talk about would, would be like a packaging compliance company. Like, like <laughs> I, I wouldn't have known that's a thing, but what are a couple of interesting service providers? I mean, you don't, don't mention their name. You don't have to mention their name or anything because I don't want to seem like we're, you know, we're sponsoring them when I don't <laughs> even know what they do, but just say what they do, like something that you didn't even know was a thing before. So when I started out uh, working on the Sermondo project, basically every service was to me like, oh, you could really need that. Someone who just designed, there are people who are specialized in just designing infographics, for example. I was like, huh, do you really need that? And then you start paying attention when you shop on Amazon and you're like, okay, basically every good listing has uh, an infographic on it. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, packaging, design, Compli like packaging compliance. I mean, this is, these are all subcategories from like the bigger so, ones. So there is actually a packaging. <laughs> I was just making a joke. There is a packaging compliance we actually, specialist. I, you said I shouldn't mention names, so I won't, but we actually have a company listed on our site that is specialized in doing just that. Now let's go on to Serious Sellers Podcast, episode 71. In this one, we're going to listen to Celine Dior, who at 21 already has the number one swimwear brand in Vancouver. And that's not the most astounding part of her success. Celine, like most young adults, has a certain aptitude for social media. So much so that 99% of the sales of her swimwear come directly from Instagram. Kind of makes you think twice when you shake your head at the kids with their heads buried in their smartphones. 
99% of our sales are through Instagram. 99%. Wow. That's crazy. Can you just give us some general, not necessarily pertaining to your business, but just general stats as far as Instagram and Facebook and and why it's important to really have a, a specific strategy that you You can't just like, hey, let me put my brand on Instagram and it's going to do well. Yeah. Um, So I think it's super important to have a very strong brand message for even for a lot of sellers on Amazon. um, When I went to the speech, they came to me and was like, hey, I want to branch out and, you know, do my own brand, be on social media and really um, like showcase your personality as a brand. And I think that's really, really important on Instagram because you need to like stand out from the rest of your competition. And the only way to do that is to show what's special about your brand through pictures on Instagram. And for my demographic, it works really well because our customers are 18 to 24, uh, female and, they are really visual buyers. I feel like they need to look at a photo and say, Hey, like this bikini or uh, fitness apparel looks amazing on this girl. And, um, I kind of look like this girl, same body type. I think I would look amazing in this too. And our brand message is, um, empowering women with different body types. So the girls we're showcasing on our brand have different body types, which the buyers can resonate with. So they feel confident in buying our product. It's not as simple as just giving away products. There's a science behind it. And Celine is an expert at connecting with the right influencers. One of the methods I was told that you use is called giveaways. Now, for those of our Amazon sellers, we hear the term giveaways. It means like one of two things. There's like this Amazon on page thing that's called giveaways that actually is through Amazon. The other way is, hey, when people are launching a brand, they're doing discounted promotions. But what does quote unquote giveaways mean in the Instagram world or or how do you use Instagram giveaways in order to grow your brand? Um, actually there's different types of giveaways I usually run. Um, I try to run not too often, but enough to capture my followers attention and gain new followers. Um, I did get caught up in doing too many giveaways a year and a half ago. And I find that it wasn't so effective anymore because we do it so often. People don't think it's special, but to give you, um, like a big picture of it. It's there's a few types of giveaways. One of them is like your own brand. So you post on your post and you say like, Hey, follow, um, follow us like this photo, tag a friend. And we're giving away, let's just say five sets of bikinis and people usually participate, but it's at a lower engagement rate because you're only showing that to your own followers. Um, and you're only growing that way hoping that they would tag their friends that are not already following you. Um, second type of giveaway would be to collaborate with another brand or another Instagram influencer. So they would have to post on their feed as well saying like, Hey, follow this brand and me. And that way you're bringing in a lot more new faces and new followers using the other brand or the other influencers, Instagram platform. And it brings a lot of traffic onto our website too. I find that. And on our website, we have, um, email capturing pop-ups. So then that way we use email marketing to like retarget as well. And the other types are 
actually we did one three, four months ago. We were giving away free bikinis to everyone that follows us um, that reposted the photo on their Instagram story. And that's it. Everyone that does it gets a free bikini and it went viral. We gained 17,000 followers in two days. And then, wow, yeah. And then we kept 90% of it. And not just any influencer will do. You need to make sure they align with your brand. To be in a giveaway like this, you really need to make sure that the influencer and other brands align with, you know, your brand and your customer. So we did that a few times and we gained um, a lot of followers and just by doing giveaways with other influencers as well. Okay. And yeah. now, now that you have these followers, I mean, like you had said, your, your retention sounds pretty well. Like how do you keep people engaged and, and, and keep them from unfollowing or, or make sure that they're putting eyes on your, on your posts? Like, do you have like a certain formula, I guess you, you use for content? So for content, we always post, you know, we try our best to post customers photos. Um, I find that works really well because our page is, you know, getting bigger and bigger every day. And the girls that are our customers really want to be reposted on a big page like this. So, you know, they always keep following and see if their photos are getting reposted or uh, if their friends photos got reposted, they're like super excited and they would comment in the post and say like, Oh, like this is my best friend. Like it's actually crazy to see like people are super engaged in our page. We also did weekly giveaways where, um, we asked the followers to actively like and comment on our posts that we post every day. And we randomly pick two winners per week to win a gift card to our store. Instagram's algorithm is constantly changing. And according to Celine, becoming more like Facebook, here are some of Celine's tips for making adjustments to your brand's message. What are some other kind of rules of thumb, like as far as either the, the algorithm, like how it works and how to take advantage of it or how to get more engagement? What are some little tips and tricks you can give us? So right now, Instagram's algorithm has been changed a lot. Uh, recently, they did a huge update again. And I feel like Instagram is slowly turning and becoming Facebook. Like they want people to see more of their friends and family's posts rather than a business. Um so it's really hard to have your business end up on the explore page. Although Instagram is rolling out with a new feature, it's called like shop. You can shop and buy directly from Instagram. I think they already rolled it out in the US to just to test it out. Like we don't have access to it yet. Um, but if you go on your explore page, there's like little tabs on the top and one would say like shop and it's all the brands that Instagram thinks you're interested in. And then all the products are there for you to shop, um, which I think is really cool for business. But in terms of organic reach, I would say uh, really engage with your customers, post more like giveaways or content that you know your customers would want to see. Um, like back to the brand message thing, we post like weekly, weekly stories um, to give the followers some context of like what we represent. For example, like we really promote self-care, like self-love. So then every Sunday we have story series about self-care Sunday. So some tips on like how to, you know, uh, meditate or how to do your skincare routine, like stuff like that people would like to read. It's kind of like a blog post, but on Instagram story. Um, I would also say really utilize, utilize Instagram story because 
Um, Instagram posts are getting pushed like further back now. Like I said, the algorithm makes the business posts like not really seeable. Um, so we really use Instagram story. It's like, it shows people that you are more active on Instagram because when you're posting, you only post like maybe once a day, once a week, um, or twice a week and Instagram story, it's like Snapchat and you can post daily or like even every like an hour you can, uh, post like a video of what your team is doing or the behind the scenes of manufacturing. Like people love to see that. So I hope you enjoyed this first in a series of best of episodes. You were able to see some of the best of highlights of recent Serious Sellers podcast episodes. We're going to have other best of episodes about things like our Helium 10 blogs and also some of our Ask Me Anything episodes where people ask their biggest questions about Amazon and e-commerce in general. So make sure to stay tuned. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.